everyone, it's Colin here. You might be able to tell I've got a bit of a cold. Uh, it's 8.30 in the morning on Saturday and I'm off to Southampton to watch my beloved Watford play the Saints at 3pm. Now you may well ask, what on earth am I doing up at 8.30? Well, there's mayhem on the trains heading south out of Waterloo. But if I get the 9.28, <laughs> I can get to Southampton unimpeded by replacement bus services. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm meeting my friend Ollie Wickham, who's going to join the train at Clapham Junction. It's like a military manoeuvre. But it does rather beg the question, why do we do it? Are we all mad? Tens of thousands of people will already be on the road going to watch their teams away from home. They've woken up on a Saturday morning and thought, hmm, I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to drive to Carlisle or Plymouth or Newcastle or Stockport or... London, if they support northern teams or any other team away from London. And so it does rather beg the question, what are we doing? And why do we spend all these hours travelling enormous distances to watch our team play a football match which lasts 90 minutes? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to be meeting up with some people I know, some I've known for a very long time, some I've only recently met, uh, talking about what it is that uh, makes them travel huge distances and what are the key elements to a great away day? Because away days can be absolutely fantastic. And hopefully I'm going to pick up a few stories, funny things that have happened while uh, while travelling away to grounds in the four corners of the kingdom. Uh, breakdowns and meeting funny people and strange locals when you get there. <laughs> and odd grounds and can't get in and losing your tickets, all those sort of things. So hopefully we're going to pick up a few funny stories. The other thing we're going to talk about today is... The Bobby P and Jerry D show. I know that a lot of Watford fans are getting very excited about our two ball carriers. It's it's rare to have one really good ball carrier in the team, but to have two of such high quality is very exciting. And it got me thinking about midfield pairings in the past. And obviously, there's one that, that stood out for me being a man in his 50s. And that is Barnes and Callaghan. And remembering just how exciting, how the hairs on the back of your neck would stand up when the ball was released to Barnes on the left or Callaghan on the right. You just knew something good was going to happen, or at least there was a possibility. And I'm beginning to feel the same way watching these two lads, particularly because of the quality of Hughes, who can get the ball out to them, and Isaac Success or Dini, who can hold the ball up and get it to them. But once they get on the ball, once you see Pereira drop his shoulders, get on the ball, drift past defenders, same for Delafeo. So I was just going to talk to some people who can remember Barnes and Callahan and see if maybe these two players can be as good as those two were and what would they need to do to reach the same level or even surpass the achievements of the great John Barnes and Nigel Callahan. So those are the things we're going to be discussing, along with the game, of course, and hopefully my voice will hold out with this dreadful cold. Speak to you later. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. So I've made it to Waterloo Station. It's nine minutes past nine. I've bought something that looks sort of like breakfast. I'm not entirely sure it's actual food, but anyway, it will sustain me on my journey to Southampton. And I just want to pick up on this whole thing about why people go to away games. What's the attraction? And you know, I've left my wife in a, in a lovely comfy bed. <laughs> She's uh, going out to get herself a nice coffee in the newspaper, put the radio on. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm heading off into the hell that is Southern Railway to go to a football match in the pouring rain. And I remember when I was young, when I was you know, 13, 14, 15, bunking off school in the afternoon to go and get the club coach. I remember going to Stoke when we played them in the League Cup. And I just remember the excitement, waking up in the morning knowing that I was going to 
get on a coach and go all the way to Stoke, which I didn't even know where it was, to watch my team play and come back on the coach with like-minded people, my mum picking me up at you know, sort of midnight or quarter one o'clock. And it's represented independence, I guess, because you know, I don't think my mother would have let me go to Nottingham or Stoke just on my own on a Saturday, but because I was going and because it was football and because I was on a coach, she felt it was going to be safe. And remember, this was at a time where there was a lot of violence at football, but nevertheless, there I was with my Watford scarf tied around my wrist, aged 13, 14, 15, 16, going off to football. And there's a couple of things I just want to tell you about, because obviously my daughter Florence is now 16, but when, when we first got our season tickets, I think she was nine, and we were in the family stand, and it's quite boring in the family stand. Uh, there's a few dads yelling, but mostly it's just kids, you know, on iPads. Some of them interested in the football, some of them not so much. And she was interested. She learned the names of the players, and she understood the, who the manager was, and she, got, she started to learn how football worked. But she said to me recently, age 16 now, and I think this was the season before the season we got promoted, she said the moment that football entered her soul, that Watford Football Club became part of her DNA, was on a, a Saturday morning when my brother-in-law rang me up and he said, I see Watford are playing Millwall today at Millwall. Do you want to go? Why don't we go with Florence? And I said, that's a good idea. Wasn't really going to away games at that time because the children were young. So I went into a room, woke her up, said, do you want to go and watch Watford play Millwall at Millwall? Because she didn't know anything about Millwall or the history or the reputation of going to South Bermondsey to watch football. She was like, um, yeah, all right. So we went. We went to the game. And we sat upstairs with about two and a half thousand screaming horns, sang for 90 minutes. And at the end of it, she said to me, oh my God, Dad, I had no idea that football could be like this. Next season, we have to move our tickets to the rookery. It was so brilliant hearing her tell me that that was the moment. It was the away game. It was being in the minority with the, with the hardcore, if you want to call it that, the people that travel. And she'd become part of that. And I don't think she'll ever come back. I mean, here I am, 55, 40-odd years on from going to Stoke on a club coach. And here I am at Waterloo Station. So I think once it gets into your bones, into your bone marrow, it doesn't leave you. And the exhilaration, the excitement I felt this morning when I woke up knowing that I was going to go and watch Pereira, Delafeo, Hughes, Dini, success. It's just the same as it was when I was 13. It doesn't really change. Right, so um, I'm on the train down to Southampton and uh, I've met up with Ollie Wicken, the creator of Hornet Heaven, and we're still not entirely sure that this train is going to go all the way to Southampton. We're hoping that it is. We've spoken to the guard, but they're still on the website. It says we're going to have to get off at Basingstoke and get on something, a bus replacement service. Three words in the English language which strike fear into everyone. So yes, we're on our adventure down to Southampton to watch our team. And um, those of you that listen to Hornet Heaven will know that uh, Series 8, Season 8, has just completed. And two words have been attached to Episode 4, which have have struck fear and sadness into many um, regular listeners and those words are the end so uh, Ollie, um, is that true? Is Hornet Heaven is it, is it finished? Well if Henry Grover was here in person he would probably say never say never old fruit <laughs> actually is that Henry now? Ah Ollie, there you are Yeah. so, so um, the plan at the moment is to take a break from Hornet Heaven or uh, are you just teasing your your avid listeners if I'm absolutely honest I don't know <laughs> the story that I wrote came to that ending and that uh, conclusion 
listeners might be interested to know that Colin and I have just been sitting here bouncing around ideas for a future episode, whether that will happen or not, who knows. But uh, if you do want more Hornet Heaven, there's uh, a story coming out later this month in print. So the Watford Treasury, which is a new magazine, uh, visual history of Watford Football Club, has commissioned a Hornet Heaven story and... So there's uh, there's one coming out, the next issue of the Watford Treasury, which is out at the end of this month. You can buy it uh, before the Liverpool game, where it will be sold on the streets, or you can go to thewatfordtreasury.co.uk to order it by mail or even subscribe. Uh, so Hornet Heaven will carry on in written form in the Watford Treasury just for that one edition. But also I've uh, made all of the stories so far available in paperback and ebook. Uh, and you can get hold of those on amazon.co.uk so just search for Hornet Heaven all of the episodes that we've done are now 36 episodes and now available in three volumes if you prefer reading to listening it's been an amazing uh, amazing journey for both of us I guess but also you just brought so much pleasure and joy into people's lives because uh, whenever I go to games people come up and say oh you're the chap that does Hornet Heaven and you know, I listen to them on the train or I listen to them going to work and, and you've just brought a whole extra dimension of supporting Watford into their lives and also I do think that on some level and certainly I'm speaking personally the idea that when I finally you know pass away hopefully not for many years that Hornet Heaven may actually turn out to be true and there I'll be with Derek Garston and Henry Grover and McBain and, and the Alderman and all the other characters that you've created which are so rich it's such a rich landscape for people to listen to so uh, if this is the end then uh, I personally want to say thank you for what you've brought into my life and, uh, and all our lives Well what's been great about uh, the response in the last week or so is that people saying how much they've loved Hornet Heaven and that's what it's been about it's been about love the last episode tried to make that point really clearly and the depth of our feelings about our club and uh, that we share about the community uh, of Watford fans is is so special and it's away days like this where you begin to feel it more because you're a minority in the ground and uh, you, you feel a, a greater affinity with your fellow horns on an away day like this rather in the home games, I think. Yeah, that's true. So the theme of this podcast, because uh, we're travelling down to Southampton, one of the themes anyway is, is about away days and why do we all get up at eight in the morning to get trains or get into battered old minis to drive across the country to watch... Uh, people you've never met <laughs> who you care about much too deeply play for 90 minutes and so uh, what are the what are the elements of an away day do you think Ollie for you that make uh, an away day you know special what are the things that, that that have to be a part of the day to make it memorable well you used the word earlier adventure and I think that's the, the key to it which is it's not part of the routine of going to a home game which you do 19 times a year uh, it's it's different you have different plans you, you start doing different things you meet different people so it isn't a adventure but the three key elements for me are the distance for an ideal away day it's got to be a long way away um, <laughs> the people that you go with so traveling on a train with you is great um, meeting up with other people in the pub when we get there beer yeah that's important but very importantly it's, for me it's not about the football i can tell you about my favorite away days and the, the result of the football is absolutely immaterial to how much i enjoyed those away days have you got any um, particular memories of away days that might just bring a smile to our faces? One of my favourites was, uh, it was an away game at Blackburn, um, and I went up with various friends in the car. I was 17, and my main memories are on the way back, we stopped at a pub in uh, Derbyshire, and there was a parrot that swore when you flicked beer at it, um, and I had too much of it. <laughs> 
You had too much beer? I had far too much beer for a 17-year-old. Um, and the next memory is of uh, a Ford Sierra that my mate was driving, that I was travelling home in, suddenly swinging over to the hard shoulder of the motorway, me opening the door and throwing out a bag of vomit at the door closing and then driving off again. That's a delightful, that's a delightful <laughs> tale, Ollie. Slightly unsavoury. Yeah, wasn't there some, something about a set of dentures as well that you, you mentioned earlier? Yes, a pub in... Berry, uh, this is many years ago, uh, where we walked in and were wondering what beer to choose from the selection available and looked at the pints that various people had set up along the bar and one man was rinsing his dentures in his pint. Ah, the glamour. It's not really like that in the Premier League now. It's all a lot more glitzy. That's brilliant, Ollie. Thank you so much. Enjoy the game today. Enjoy the game. a quick interruption it's John by the way Ollie just mentioned the Watford Treasury and the fact the new edition is coming out at the Liverpool game and later this month for you to order online and I caught up with Ian Grant this week and Ian as many of you know was the founder and co-editor of Be Sad uh, and also the co-editor of what is now Be Happy Be Sad Blind Stupid and Desperate you've got to sort of just go back and look at that uh, whenever you can just to, to go through the archives it's just a wonderful thing of of, of the Oh, the early, the late nineties, early noughties, and Ian has written the the main article for this latest edition of Watford Treasury, and it's all about the ninety nine two thousand relegation season. I caught up with him on the phone this week about why he wrote about this season, what this season means to him, and and why it was such a special season to many. Well, tell us all about it. It's set in the Premier League. Yes, so so it's basically a, a, a kind of a trip back to the relegation scene of uh, season of 99-2000 which obviously by huge public demand um, people wanted me to go back and write a huge article about that and relive it all it's kind of it's a season that's kept calling me back I suppose in what way was it calling you back because of you know, your age at the time was it certain games was it just the it fact was that certainly, it was certainly kind of it was very much the best of times and the worst of times I think in that certainly for, I think for me and for quite a lot of others, it was it was a real experience of the season, and it was a it was a time when kind of lots of supporters groups were coming together, and and the internet was the internet kind of was was still quite a vibrant and new thing. Lots of social stuff around games that was really exciting and quite new, and it felt like yeah, it felt like a great time to be going to going to support Watford games. The results didn't change that. Well, I think in a strange way, the, the results actually made it more so in that there, there was definitely a point in that season where where the kind of hope of staying up just went. For a while, that was quite bleak. And then there was a point where you kind of looked at it and thought, well, if, you know, if the team's failing, then we need to step up. And there was definitely a point where the kind of the gallows humour came out, but also along with that, a kind of real pride in the in the club and what it was and how far it had managed to get really kind of overreached itself and even getting to that level on such such restricted finances for you in that season <clears throat> yeah there was that away win at liverpool which no mm. one will ever forget and it was a massive high but the only away win of the season yeah yeah at, at what point then did you think the the hope disappeared the particularly bleak bit was <clears throat> was december i think by that point when we lost five nil at wimbledon that was terrible that was that was really one of the lowest points I think I've ever had as a Watford fan it was just appalling and then 
uh, I, I think I, I would say probably even worse was was losing at home in the cup to Birmingham the following week because it was not a good Birmingham side and they didn't have a recognised striker. There were kind of 8,000, I think, in the ground and it uh, just felt desperate. Those are the points where it kind of hope really started to fade away. It's, I mean, it's a strange thing, those kind of relegation seasons. You kind of look back on them and think, well, we threw in the towel quite early. But actually, there's, there's always a point where you can turn it around, uh, you know, right until the, until the end. I, I remember the trip to Goodison Park, and that was really the point where, where all the humour started coming out, I think. And we, we lost. We were terrible defensively again. You know, it was a game that we might have won if we defended well, but, you know, lost fairly comfortably because we didn't defend well. And that was really the point where I think, you know, the away fans looked at it all and just thought, well, let's show some pride in our club. So it was another one of those grounds where the home, the home stands are silent and expectant. And it felt like we could suddenly define ourselves by not being part of this anymore. Um, and the fact that we were going to leave um, suddenly became not a source of relief, but <laughs> but but not a source of not a source of shame anymore. Do you think that would happen again? Because, like we you know, in the modern world of Twitter, and everyone be able to instantly share their their feelings <laughs> um, from deep within wherever it is um, they come from and within them. Could football have that jovial, fun side even in yeah. the, the blackest moment? That's a really good question, and and, and that's part. I, I suppose that is part of why. Why I kind of hark back to that season in a way, in that there was a kind of golden, there was a, a golden period at the end of that season where the results really stopped mattering. I'm sure Graham Taylor and the players wouldn't have seen it that way, but but certainly as supporters, I think a great many did. And where it just really the only thing that matters was, was just having some fun with it and showing some pride in the club and kind of I suppose redefining what the club was if if the team was failing. And yeah, I. I don't know if that can ever happen again. It feels it feels like football's got considerably more short term than that. Since then, it would instantly be defined by you know managers under pressure and 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 so on. I, d- I don't know that that could ever happen again. Yeah, a Sky Sports yellow banner um, with a big yeah. sound effect before it. It'll, it'll all be yeah, exactly, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know obviously, I mean it it would be foolish to say that there weren't supporters at the time who weren't outraged by the by the the defeats and all that sort of thing, because clearly they were. But the, the mood was was certainly very different. And, I, yeah, I can't help feeling that was slightly because there wasn't this kind of whirlwind of outrage <laughs> surrounding every uh, every setback. It was Graham's last year as a top-flight Watford manager. And, you know, yeah. he'd, he'd come back, you know, for his return and, and, you know, double promotions and in the Premier League. Uh, did that sort of... You know, help with the the atmosphere. The fact it was a it was a Graham Taylor side, it wasn't you know anybody else's, and and the whole vibe sort of at that point was, you know, sort of old Watford again. Yeah, well, I, I certainly think at the point where the where the supporters weren't defining themselves by the team's achievements, having Graham Taylor as the manager, given how aware he was of of how much the club meant to the town and and so on, certainly helped. Again, part part of what draws me back to that season is. There was everybody mentions, and you've already mentioned that the win at win at Anfield, and that that was a great win, and it was a great day and everything. But the 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 win the win over Chelsea about a month later, that was really something because that was an illustrious Chelsea side. It wasn't a, it wasn't a terribly great Chelsea side, but but they had some players. They had World Cup winners, 
Um, they'd beaten AC Milan in midweek. And they turned up, you know, with chests puffed out and all that sort of thing. And we tore them to pieces, you know, absolutely taught them a lesson, which was, you know, they might have been technically better, but, but we could beat them anyway because we'd just run harder and, uh, and do everything with much more intensity. Did that for you, does that result, it does for me a little bit, that, that game always feels a little bit more planned out and won rather than the Liverpool yeah. game, which felt like we were holding on and scrapping for it. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And, uh, and I, think, um, I think that Chelsea game is, is, is really the last time that a, that a Graham Taylor-Watford side did that, you know, planned the downfall of a, of a kind of illustrious opponent and, and executed it perfectly and did it with massive smiles on their faces and all that sort of thing. You know, it was tremendous fun. I guess what I keep coming back to with that season is I keep looking at that win and just, I remember what it felt like. I remember how absolutely intoxicating it was that that afternoon. And it didn't feel at that moment like it was all going to gradually slide into oblivion. And I still I still kind of slightly cling to the version where it didn't, you know, because that was, that was such a great side at that moment. That was such a brilliant performance, such an amazing performance. And I slightly cling to the the kind of alternate reality or whatever, where um, that wasn't the end of it all. But it kind of was. That was sort of the end of the era right there. Even even though he was still manager for 18 months more, that was kind of the bit where it ended. Certainly the last the last of those days. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! And before we head back to Colin, we need to hear from Arlo. Mike, our other co-host, is a surname Parkin. He's a son called Arlo. And this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Now, you've had a good week, haven't you? I went to WWE and met a famous wrestler called Charlotte. Ooh, was that exciting? Yeah. Watford and wrestling, two of your favourite things. So if you were going to choose a Watford player to be part of your tag team, who would you choose? And it be a squad. That's up to you. Foster, Dini, Gray and Delafeu with me. Because Dini and Gray are strong. Delafeu's fast. Yeah. And Foster, if they throw anything at me, he can save it. Decent sounding team to me. Thanks for joining us, Arlo. Bye-bye. So, arrived in Southampton at the station... Ollie and I have parted uh, ways. He's gone off to a pub in the north of the city. I'm making my way to the picture and piano at Ocean Village, where I'm going to meet up with some people to have some more chats about their away day experiences and any funny stories they've got, and also a little bit more maybe about uh, Roberto Pereira and Gerard de la Faye. Um, Got off the train. It was absolutely pouring with rain, and all the cabs seem to be taken, so I'm soaked. Brilliant. I've made it to the picture and piano, I'm soaking wet, and I'm sitting with the lovely Hilda, who will be known to many of you for her voluminous hugs before games. That's a very good thing. It's a very good thing. She's a roadie, and uh, more importantly, you were supporter of the year 2014-15, which was Kike's year. So just tell me, how do they notify that you won, and what did they do for you, and how did it feel? How did I find out I won? I was wearing a very posh dress at the end of season do, and I saw my picture come up on the screen, and that's how I found out. How amazing. So you had to go up, and you were presented with... With Mutt by Miles, Miles Jacobson, right. and I literally was like, I think you've got it wrong. It just, 
this isn't me, I can't have won this. And it was a real surprise. Everyone, there's about five people knew, and yeah, they'd all kept it a secret from me. I had no idea. How so amazing. It was amazing, yeah. It was, and that must have been a very proud moment. How much prouder can you get than being told that you're fan of the year for the club that you love? I mean, there genuinely couldn't be a more proud moment, could there? What was really lovely was Gomez. Gomez came over to me because he got um, the award, didn't he? And he came over and said, let's get our trophies and we'll have a picture together. So that was, that was probably, you know, really special. But the other thing that was really special was Gino. So we went over to Gino and I said, you know, could I have a picture? And I told him, he said, I, you don't need to tell me who you are. I know who you are, which was really lovely. And then I had, like, he had a picture with me and he was with his family and everything. And he made the time and, yeah, it was lovely, really lovely. All the players, you know. Now, listen, you're not really called Hilda, are you? That is your, that's your football, that's your football name. Florence refers to you, my daughter Florence refers to you as her, as her football mum, which is very sweet. Yeah, she's a lovely girl. But just tell us a little bit about why you and your husband, who, poor man, is in fact a Brighton fan, but has now become a kind of no, he hasn't. surrogate Watford fan. He's a roadie, though, isn't he's he? He's a roadie, but he's always a Brighton fan. No, no, I understand that. I used to go to Brighton games with him when we first met, and I was always a Watford fan. So you, you can't change your team. But he does come, he does know a lot about our team, and he will cheer. But when we play each other's teams, he goes in the away end at Watford, and I go in the away end at Brighton, and there's, you know, never the twain shall meet. Tell me about the names, um, Hilda and... Howard and Hilda. Yeah, so how did that start, and, and how has it sort of remained? Right, so how it started was, I, my other big love is Disney. So I'm a really big Disney fan, and I went, we went to Disney at Christmas, and we wore these T-shirts that were like Christmas jumpers, and they were matching. And if anybody remembers ever decreasing circles, there was a couple in it called Howard and Hilda who always wore matching things. So the name Howard and Hilda, because we're always together, the name Howard and Hilda just came up. And I always think your football name, you don't choose it, it chooses you, a bit like your club. You, it just stuck. And now, I mean, some people don't know me as anything other than Hilda. And when I got my Supporter of the Year award, it was really bizarre because they announced it with my real name, and people didn't know who, who I was with my real name. And they have actually put in inverted commas, Hilda, on it. So that oh, was that's really brilliant. sweet. Yeah, that is very so, good. Because some people genuinely only know me as Hilda. So, so going to home games is one thing. We, we all love doing that, going to it's our home, Vickers Road. But uh, on this, uh, today on the podcast, we're, we're sort of focusing on going to away games. Just for you personally, I know that you're a member of the Southern Counties uh, Hornets and that you've done a poll on Facebook and we've got some answers. But just for you personally, what are the elements that make an away day memory? You've been to hundreds of away games, so some of them will stand out, some of them will be less memorable. What do you think is the thing about about the effort that we all make and the, to go away and watch our team? What, is, what's, what, what makes them special? For me, the most important thing is the people that you're with. I think that can make or break an away day. And actually, sometimes some of the ones that I've really enjoyed are where you meet new people. So you've, you've, you meet these Watford fans who've been going to games the same as you, and you you know you support the same team and you find each other and I really like that and also I, I like a bit of banter with the away the home team I quite enjoy talking about both our sides because they have a view of us we have a view of them and sometimes it's quite interesting the difference between the two so before the game that's the important thing but at the game for me is the atmosphere that we create as away fans and I think that has got really good I think there's a real good atmosphere I love the singing I love the you know, I love some of the celebrations we do. The whoa, that's my favourite one. Um, but I, I just love how we all come together. 
you know, and we all get behind. And, and sometimes we've even done it when it's been a really awful game. You know, you just try and make the most of it. it it's just that atmosphere. People can't understand it. It's like a family, and you don't necessarily know everyone in your family, but it's a family. You all, you know, you're all there for the same thing. That's brilliant. So listen, let's uh, just go through your poll. Yes. You, you put a you put a, a question out on Facebook, was I it? Did. I did. And uh, you got some responses. So let's just hear some of the responses and just name check the people. Well, the first thing that needs to be said is I did say that the first thing that makes an away day is got to be a Hilda Huck. That so is true. I can vouch for that. You, if you find Hilda, come get a hug because that will make hopefully make your away day. Um, but the top the top answer that was thirty seven people, and we have three hundred, was a good atmosphere in the away end. So that's exactly what I've just said a minute ago. Um, the second one, which hopefully will be today, is goals to celebrate. So that makes a good away day is when you have goals to celebrate because no, we is... get to do a. <laughs> and a bit that, of is, that is true. I remember going to Grimsby in the nineties. It's a long way to Grimsby. It was dark, it was wet, dark. and it was a nil-all draw. That's not yeah. so memorable. I was going to say, that's not going to be a good away day, is it? Apart from fish and chips, maybe. You probably had good fish and chips. Um, and then the third most popular one was, thank you, was meeting up with friends and fellow away fans. So kind of what I've said seems to be the consensus. that the, the final one kind of linked in there is us celebrating at the final whistle, which for me, particularly Wolves, that was a really good recent one where, you know, I think we were all quite surprised at that result. Um, two amazing goals... And literally blink and you miss it. <laughs> and do you feel that you get a stronger connection with the players at the end of a game, at away games? I think since Javi's been in charge, I think there's definitely been um, a big difference in them coming over. I think we've had elements in certain seasons where they, I don't think they've necessarily felt confident in coming over to, to the away fans. And that's a bit of a shame, really. But I like it when they come over. I think, you know, you say it's a lot of effort that we make to come to these games. Our choice, but it's a lot of effort. And coming over, just, you know, a little bit of a clap and just to see them up close and personal, this it's can't be a bad thing, can it? Oh, well, thank you so much. Great talking to you, Hilda. Thank you very In- much. Enjoy and the game. doing what you're doing. Amazing. I hope you win the award that you're up for. Well deserved. Thanks very much. Enjoy the game. So we've moved from the picture and piano because it's too hot and you can't get a beer. And we've moved to the Banana Wharf where I've met these two lovely gentlemen. They're from Norway and they're both Watford fans. One's wearing the away shirt and one's wearing the home shirt. Uh, just tell me your names. Paul, Eric. So, Ove, you, uh, you were a Watford fan in Norway. Yep. And then you chose to come and study in England. How did you become a Watford fan in Norway? From far ago, I was a Lynn Oslo fan. And one of the players, Igalo, he played for Lynn for several years. And then he moved to Italy to Spain and then to Watford, so I've followed him since, since Oslo. And is, is the Premier League a big thing in Norway? Do a lot of people watch Premier League? Yeah, it's very big. I think uh, we're one of the main uh, supporter uh, countries in the world, like except from England, really. So yeah, it's big. So this is a massive away day for you guys, because you're actually in another country watching your team away from home, not just another town. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but you're, you're, you chose to come and uh, live in London and study in London. How long are you going to be here for? Uh, we're here till December, so it's only one semester. You've been to a few home games at Vicarage Road, presumably, but um, what is it you like particularly about going to away games? Uh, I like the atmosphere the most. Um, it's cool to travel, see some other parts of England and go to a pub, meet fellow Watford supporters and watch, watch a game. It's, 
it's perfect. And is that the same for you? Yeah, it's the same. I think the the atmosphere when you have the um, away crowd uh, gathering uh, in a small part of the stadium is perfect. It's uh, you get like the the real atmosphere there. Yeah, <laughs> guys, thanks very much. Enjoy the game. Thanks. So I'm here with uh, with Carl, who is uh, at Watford Boy on Twitter, and um, we just had the lineups come out, and uh, the only change is Chalabar in for Kapu. Was that what you expected? No, I thought he'd go uh, Dini back in today, um, and he's playing one up front, which I didn't expect. So I thought he'd go two again. Is it one up front or is it four up front? Well, he's gone, yeah, four up front. But looking at the formation, I think success is going to be running that front line, isn't he? But, uh, yeah, I'm not... We'll see, I suppose. Um, wasn't what I was expecting. I'm glad uh, Chalibur's in there, though. Yeah, looking forward, you're looking forward to seeing him. We've been yeah, waiting yeah. a long time to see him get a decent start, play, play a Premier League game. I, I personally feel pleased that he's picked him, not Wilmot or someone else, or changed the formation. Um, we've been waiting a long time for Chalibur, haven't we? We have, yeah. And he's played more minutes in an England shirt than he has in a Watford shirt. So it, it, it's good to see him uh, back in a Watford shirt and hopefully he can do the business today. Thank you very much for that. We're in the ground now, we're in the concourse, and uh, obviously the anticipation levels are going up, the excitement levels are going up, the game's about 10 minutes from starting. I'm standing here with Phil Williams, who I went to school with, who is now chairman of the council for the Three Rivers District. But Phil, just wanted to talk to you about going to away games. You've been to hundreds of away games. What do you think are the elements that really make a memorable one? It's like a perfect storm, and you have to have everything in line for the perfect away day. It's the people you're with, it's obviously the result, it's getting there, it's the pub beforehand, and all these things come together to make the perfect away day. <laughs> That's so true. You're a steward on the coaches, so obviously that, that can be uh, tricky because of the traffic and breaking down and standing in, uh, standing in the sort of no-mark service stations in the middle of nowhere. Tell us a little bit about your experience of stewarding coaches. Stewarding coaches is always fun. There's been a number where I've been uh, called on to other coaches to look after unruly fans when things aren't going as well as they might. People get a little bit frustrated, so I've been taken off my own coach to help help other stewards, as it may be said. And is that because drink had been taken? Quite possibly, I wouldn't <laughs> like to say. But then we got Newcastle away again last year, another great result, but then we broke down. Here you are on the motorway, and with no coach. And Gino, um, he sent taxis, is that right, and paid the club pay for taxis to get you there? Yeah, it's all I did was have to ring the club, so we got a bit of a predicament, and then it said, oh no, there's taxis arriving within the next 10 minutes, so oh, you couldn't ask good. for more. Couldn't so the other thing more. we're talking about today is, uh, is the excitement surrounding Delafeo and Pereira. We've got two ball carriers in the team, players that like to run at defenders. Now that's something that always gets supporters out of their seat, obviously away days we're standing anyway, but you know what I mean, the, the hair's on the back of the neck, as soon as Pereira gets the ball, he drops his shoulders, you think something good's going to happen. Delafoe the same. And it got me thinking about previous pairings and obviously the ones that stand out for us but Johnny Barnes on the left and Nigel Callahan on the right. Now do you think that these two can, can take us into Europe in the way that those two did? What would they have to do to really become the kind of legends that, that Callie and Barnes are? Well they'd obviously have to stay with the club quite a while to get that sort of status that they both did. John Barnes out of this world. You know one of the world's best at the time and if he was still playing he would be there. Cali, we all love Cali. I was actually at school with him at St Michael's for a year before I changed schools and played football with Nigel. A great person, good fun, and a great footballer too. Whether Nigel would make it now or not in this team, I don't know. Barnsley, certainly. So hopefully, Delafeo and uh, Pereira will, will stay with us for four or five seasons. Actually, why not, really? They both seem quite settled. And if they do, can they be the players that help us get, get into Europe for the second time in our history? Oh, without a doubt. With no shadow of a doubt, they are, they are two fantastic world-class players and given the right management, which we seem to have at the moment, then there's no reason why not. 
Well, that's fantastically optimistic, Phil, because I know normally you're, you're a bit more ambivalent about it. So just uh, just to finish, before the game starts, score prediction for today? 2-1 to Watford. Love it. Cheers, Phil. It's half-time and we're 1-0 down. Welcome to Newcastle Part 2. We had some decent chances first half. Telefoe had a couple of one-on-ones. Tight angles, tricky, but we're just not able to really create the the obvious chance. Pereira had a couple of goes at it. Isaac's been very good. He's brought the ball down a few times and, and laid it off. Uh, looking quite dominant up there. They look quite quite weak at the back. They look like they've got a mistake in them. They've given the ball up in very high positions for us a few times. But then we just got sucker punched and from a corner it's dinging about in the box. Pereira gets it. He's got it. Then he tries to do a kind of some sort of Croy turn style thing and he gets the ball nipped off him and, and they score and he really should just boot it away. It's, any centre-half would have just kicked that, but that's football, isn't it? And it's given them a lot of confidence. They're starting to believe they can get a win here against us. But I still think we've got a lot of quality and I think we can get back in this game. Hughes has gone off with, I think, a groin injury and we've got Deeney on, so we've got Deeney and success up front. That'll be interesting to watch. But uh, hopefully they're getting an absolute hammering in the dressing room. Uh, and they're going to come out and turn this game around and win it 2-1. That's what I'm hoping for. So I'm walking back to the station after a one-all draw at St Mary's against Southampton. Slightly odd game, really. We had chances in the first half and then they got a goal. We fell to pieces for a bit. But in the second half, he brought on... Well, before this half-time, he brought on Deeney for Hughes, who was injured. And then later on, he brought on Gray for Pereira and it really wasn't a game for Pereira he just couldn't get in the game every time he tried he, he just couldn't get on the ball I guess they were targeting and they were, they were double teaming him it was very hard for him to find any space on the pitch and it was the right move to take him off Delefeo kept going he just kept going he wasn't having a great game but he kept going but our best player today without any shadow of a doubt the calmest the most in control of himself was Isaac's success and he's growing in confidence, this boy. He brought the ball down on his chest a couple of times. He was pushed out to the left wing once Gray came on. We are playing a kind of 4-3-3 with Delefeo back there with Decore and Chalabar. And he really influenced the game, Isaac. His passing is better. His vision is better. And we've always known he was strong and he can bring the ball down on his chest or on his thigh. But he played really well. I was really impressed with him. He's, he's kind of undroppable at the moment, I think, because of that. And in the end, the pressure was so relentless on the Southampton goal that the ball fell to Holobas. And he teed it up and he hit it. And I think there was one deflection, if not two, and it finds the back of the net. And I'm sorry for not recording the reaction at the time, but it was absolute pandemonium. And at one all, you thought, well, there's only one team going to get the winner here. Prior to the goal, there was a penalty shout on Chalabar, which looked from where we were absolutely stone cold. Just, he flew in, brought him down, nowhere near the ball, but the ref just, he just didn't give it. I guess sometimes that happens. Had we got that pen and scored it, it was a bit earlier than when we equalised, so maybe we could have had a bit more time to get the second goal. But even after we scored, the pressure was, was, was relentless. Deeney was excellent, and it's just moments like this when you realise what incredible value he has for our club. He came on before half-time, he was revved up, he was getting us revved up in the stands. 
So was Isaac. He's definitely growing in confidence in terms of his relationship with the fans. He's not the young kid anymore. He was standing there. He won a corner. He's giving it loads in front of the fans. Come on, you know, make some noise. So we did. We made plenty of noise. And in the end, we were maybe a little bit unlucky not to carve out another chance, a decent chance to score the second. But I think on reflection, a one-all draw away from home, seven points from four games. And let's not forget, two or three years ago, coming to Southampton, we wouldn't really be expecting to get much, be looking to get all our points at home. But today, the expectation was high that we would beat this team. And frankly, I think we probably should have done. But football's not like that. But we got a point, unlike last week against Newcastle, when we didn't. And so that's an improvement. And I'll tell you one thing about this side. They keep going. They will keep going to the 94th, 95th minute. They'll chase down balls. They'll cross balls in. They'll fight for the ball in the air. It was impressive. It was impressive. And it was a, it was a well-won point. I think we deserved it. We probably didn't deserve much more. They certainly didn't deserve to win the game. The only thing that was a bit disappointing was that Chalabar didn't really make much of an impact. He looked at about 80% fitness-wise and confidence-wise, but he's been out for so long. can't expect him to hit the ground running, so I forgive him that personally. Um, lots, of, lots of good performances. In the end, we got the point we wanted, and we move on. Two weeks off, Liverpool next, at home. Can't wait. So finally on the train, uh, going back to London, uh, it was delayed a little bit, but uh, nice and warm on the train, so that's good. And um, just wanted to finish off with a, with a few thoughts. I wanted to uh, just tell you my, one of my favourite away day stories from recent times. Um, when we got promoted on the, the day we beat Brighton, which was on my birthday actually, I remember Florence in the car as we were driving back up and it was confirmed that we'd been promoted to the Premier League. She said, oh my God, Dad we're going to play Liverpool. I said, yeah, yeah, we're going to play Liverpool. And said, we're going to play Man United. And we're going to be on match of the day. And We're going to play Tottenham. And I said, yeah, we're going to play all those teams. She goes, can we go to every game? And I said, of course we can go to every game. We'll have season tickets. She said, no, no, I mean, can we go to every game? And in a mad moment of uh, sort of parenthood, I said, yes, of course we can. We can go home and away to every game. So we did our best. In fact, we didn't make it. She got to 36 out of 38 games. I think I got to 34. And uh, her mother and my brother-in-law helped her to the other two. But the away day that I remember most from that season was the Monday game at Swansea. Monday at 8, Swansea at 8 o'clock in the evening. And I had to go through some mad rigmarole where I drove my car to Greenhill Crescent and parked it and then got the train back into London, went to the school, picked her up, went to Paddington, got the train to Swansea, got there about 20 past seven, got in a cab, got to the ground, watched the game, got beat 1-0 in a rather grim performance from the Orns, not long after we just won four games in a row, including beating Liverpool. And the worst thing of all was that she wasn't very well. When I got her from school, she looked ashen grey. And I said, look, you're not looking well. Should we just not go? No, no, Dad, we've got to go to every game. We're going to this game. So by the time we got to the ground, she's sitting there with her coat done up. And she looks like she's going to throw up. 
she's sort of gone completely white. And we, we're still with my friend Phil, uh, who, who came on the podcast today, and he's she's not looking at all well. I said, no. And, um, and, it, and the performance was awful. We get beat, and I'm thinking, what on earth am I doing here? What on earth am I doing in Swansea at 10 o'clock at night on a Monday? She's got to go to school tomorrow. Uh, we're miles away from, from home. So this is the moment. So the game finishes and Dini comes over to the fans and a couple of the fans down the bottom are, are giving them quite a lot of grief and he's having a bit of a go with them. And anyway, it finishes off and he steps back and he takes off his boot and it's in his right hand and I can see from where I'm standing that if he throws it with his right hand, I'm probably going to catch it. And he throws it and it comes straight towards me. I scrabble down a couple of rows. The boot hits the chair in front of me. An enormous guy comes sort of hoving into view on my left. I manage to get the boot. I turn around, I hand it to Florence. She sticks it under her coat. Anyway, we've got his boot. We've got Deanie's boot. Deanie the King, as she calls him. So we get on the coach. It's two and a half hours, three hours on the coach, back to Greenhill Crescent. We get in the car. It's one o'clock in the morning, and she throws up in the car. Dad, she says, I feel so ill. I feel so ill. <laughs> puke everywhere. I'm thinking, oh, my God. So we drive home. She gets in the shower, put her to bed. I say to her, you've got to go to school tomorrow. Your mum will never forgive you if you go to this game and don't go to school. I'll go to school. I'll go to school. So in the morning, she gets up. She goes to school. She comes back after school, and I'm there. And I go up to her room, and she's got into bed. And she's obviously feeling terrible. And I said, I said, darling, you know, we went all the way to Swansea on the train. We lost, you know. We got Deanie's boot, but you were ill in the car, and we got the coach. And it was just, it was just an awful sort of twelve hours. I said, Is it, "Was it really worth it, Florence?" And she looked at me from behind the covers of her bed with her grey face, with Deanie's boot sitting on her bedside table, and she said, "Oh yes, Dad, it was definitely worth it." And for me, that's what going away is all about. So if you've never been to an away game and you've listened to this, and one Saturday you think, "You know what? Why not?" Get on the train, go to Huddersfield, go to Brighton, go to any game away from home. You'll have a wonderful time with your friends. You can support your team. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you for listening.